Hey, what's up, guys? Peter Lewis, and I'm really excited for you to listen to this week's message uh, from Upper Room Dallas. Um, I spoke of the cup of blessing, the blood of Jesus, the cup of the new covenant, uh, and I spoke about how if we're not careful, uh, we will lose heart uh, in these days. We're fighting an unseen enemy, but the beautiful thing Um, that encourages me so much is that God has prepared a table for all of us in the presence of our enemies. And just because our enemies are around doesn't mean we can't feast. And so um, we got practical, we got real. Um, I really hope this podcast equips you uh, to eat from the table of the Lord in spite of what you're going through, in spite of where your heart's at. uh, There's hope for you because there's blood and there's bread and there's oil. Love you guys so much. Would you stand with me in honor and welcome Peter Lewis as he comes? Amen. Amen, amen. You can turn your Bible to Psalm 23, please. Can we thank the worship team again? That was beautiful. Ashley, Ava, team. No, really thank them. Come on, that was an offering, a sacrifice of praise. We're going to just do a cannonball into the Word of God here. Psalm 23, verse 5. I'm going to read it. We're going to pray and just dive in here. Say amen when you're there. All right. Psalm 23, 5 says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Father, this morning we uh, recognize that there are enemies all around. Uh, But Lord, we thank you for your activity. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for covenant. And we thank you for this table that you've invited us to this morning. And so, Father, the best we know how, we we set our hearts to come to your table. Lord, because if you've been preparing something for us, a table for us with food and with wine and with oil, Lord, it is our desire to come, even though we're still in the presence of our enemies. And so, Father, we do, we just come, Lord, in, in, in... together as one in this room, as even people watching online, God, we come to your table in the spirit that you have prepared for us. God, we ask that you would nourish us with the bread of heaven, that you would intoxicate us with the wine of the blood of your son. God, and that you would so smear our thoughts with the oil of your Holy Spirit that we would leave this place, Lord, and all we could think about is the greatness of God in the atmosphere of heaven, Lord, in the magnificence of who you are, Lord. We ask for the oil of God upon our minds, upon our thoughts, Lord. We come to your table, Lord, with expectancy, with hope. Lord, we believe that everything we need this morning is at this table. We bring our hearts to this table, God, the the good, the bad, and the ugly, Lord. We bring our hearts to you 
Can you just do that for a minute as you come to the table? This isn't just a formal intro. This is actually work in the spirit. So Lord, we're bringing our hearts to you. The fearful places of our hearts, the the places in bondage, the places that have grown numb and apathetic. Lord, we bring our hearts to your table this morning. And Lord, we confess that we don't know what to do with our own hearts. And we need your bread and we need your wine and we need your oil. We love you. Open the eyes of our heart. Let us see this morning rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning was awesome, um, and you don't have to be super in tune with the Spirit to know that that God himself, I believe, is inviting us into real joy. Um, And and that was, I don't think the worship team necessarily knew this, but the spirit did, that that was the intent and purpose of this morning's word is to restore the joy of your salvation. <clears throat> I need to grab my communion cup. So I'm gonna be with everyone the next two weeks and as I was praying, I felt like the Lord said he wanted me to talk about the cup this week and the bread next week. And so for those of you who know um, and have just been around, we really feel that God is speaking to not just our house but but the church and the body of Christ in in the nation and around the globe uh, about communion and about the Lord's table. We really feel an invitation from God himself to return to the Lord's table. Um, And there's a lot to that. There's a lot to understanding what is the body, what is the blood, what is communion? How does it impact our gathering, our fellowship? How does it impact my personal life? How does it impact our witness? How does it impact the condition of my heart? And so, even I was talking to Michael, and he's like, I think we should just do the whole year on the Lord's table. He's like, 52 sermons on the table. And, and if you don't know, you may think, oh, that, that would get boring. Well, it wouldn't get boring because the table of the Lord is central to the Christian faith. It's, it's everything. And so we're going to start looking at some of the everything this morning, specifically the cup uh, of the Lord. But I wanted to start reading Psalm 23, 5 because... I love this verse um, primarily because the entire verse highlights the activity of God. David's talking, he says, God, you have prepared a table. I love the thought that God, while I'm doing busy carrying on my life, that God is preparing something for me. That's an awesome thought to me. That encourages me, that, that strengthens me. I'm, I'm busy, you know, being a husband, a dad, whatever I do, and God is preparing a table for us, and we're not there. We're not doing the preparing. Most people, I'm convinced, you feel unprepared for life. Come on, who's with me? You're like, I'm just not prepared for this meeting, I'm not prepared for the day, I'm not prepared for the week. Life is moving at a clip, and you just feel unprepared constantly. But here's the good news this morning. God is prepared. He's prepared. He's not a hurried host. (laughs) He's got all the time in the world. And so he's prepared a table for us. And every good table has food on it. Amen? I love food. I love going to Mexican restaurants because there's food right when you get there. The (laughs) chips and salsa. (laughs) Italian restaurants do it as well. The bread and the oil. Any table, if you're hosting people, this is Hospitality 101, just put food on your table. It can be nuts or cheese or a granola bar, something. Just put it out. No one doesn't want food on the table. People are like, I'm not hungry. Yes, you're hungry. (laughs) I don't trust people that aren't hungry. 
<laughs> You're not hungry? Why? <laughs> I'm in keto. That's why. I'm, <laughs> I don't get hungry anymore. I just eat fat and all right. So God prepares a table. Now, this is, this is an interesting part of the verse. It says, in the presence of my enemies. And he kind of throws a curveball here. <laughs> I might have a little chit-chat with God about that one. Hey, um, next time you think you prepare a nice table for me, you think you could do it away from my enemies? <laughs> you think we could have a meal not in the presence of my enemies? I even feel this way with my wife sometimes. I'm like, hey, I'd like to have a meal, maybe not in the pre not my kids or my enemies, but let's have a meal away from my children, just some little calm and some peace and some quiet. And yet God, in his, in his goodness, in his wisdom, he says, no, I'm gonna prepare a table for you with bread and with wine and with oil in the presence of your enemies. And this is really un uh, important that we understand the, the ways of God and why he does this. Um, you can see this in the journey of Israel. The promised land that he gave them was filled with enemies. When they got there, they, they received their promise and yet their promised land was filled with battles yet to be fought. You guys with me? The land flowing with milk and honey was also flowing with Canaanites. I think sometimes we think that we can't rejoice and dance like this until God subdues all of our enemies. It's why many of you couldn't muster up the strength to come and dance and sing because you're so aware of the presence of your enemies. And so you, it, it almost feels like hypocrisy. I can't do that because I'm facing this, I'm dealing with this, this is where my heart's at. So that would be inauthentic. But there's something about the Christian faith, there's something about our Father who actually invites us to feast and to rejoice in the presence of our enemies and that it's a way of fighting. I'm gonna say that again. I'm actually becoming convinced that many of us, myself included, that we don't know how to fight the battles that we're fighting every week, week in and week out. That we're losing the battle for our heart, we're losing the battle to live in, in abundance of life. Like the church at large is losing this battle because we don't know how to fight. And so we're facing all of these enemies and we're all boxing as, as, as one's beating the air. We're just trying anything that sticks. Well, that guy, he read this book and he did this program and that worked for him and so I'm gonna try that and we're all just scatter shooting. Well, maybe if I, maybe if I get on a diet, maybe if I exercise more, maybe if I read my Bible more and we're all just trying some kind of way to win the battle for our hearts. And I wanna to submit to you that God has a, he has a proven plan for fighting and it's called feasting at his table. And it's awesome, it's so cool. It's the wisdom of God. He's like, yeah, your heart is a mess. Here's the prescription, I've prepared a table for you and I have bread and I have wine and I have oil and all you have to do is come and eat. And you come by milk and wine without cost and without price. Incline your ear to me and you will delight yourself in the richest affair. And then it goes on to say, my cup overflows. I want you to picture a cup in your hand and it's, it's, it's poetry yet it carries meaning. A cup overflowing means that what's in the cup is spilling out onto you, onto the table, onto others. 
and it's your cup. It's not, it's not someone else's cup, it's your cup. It's the cup that the Lord gave you and it's overflowing with wine. And what is wine? Wine is the blood of the covenant. Wine is the blood of God that is the source of our happiness. And I wanna put up Psalm 32 because we experienced, how many of you know there's Bible teaching and then there's Bible experience? You experienced the Bible this morning. You did, put Psalm 32 up there, please. I'm gonna read it in the New Living Translation. It says this, it says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. <laughs> oh, what joy. Now, when the Bible says joy, I wanna just say this, and we're gonna take our time here at the Lord's table. When the Bible says joy, he's not speaking of some Christian stoic joy. Because we hear joy in church and we're like, oh, okay. And we're suspicious. <laughs> or we've lost heart and we don't really think that there can be joy and the faith, if we're honest. This is why so many of us get tempted to look for joy in other things, in, in, in broken cisterns that don't actually satisfy your soul. Whatever it may be, it's, it could be anything. It can be good things that are just not the God things. I love the good things, but if the good things become the source of your joy, then when the good things fail you, you've got nothing. But if God, if God is the strength of your heart, if he's your portion, if he's your hope, if he's your source, then you'll never run dry and you cannot burn out. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. This is from God's perspective. So David's saying there, there's joy if your disobedience or your sins are forgiven and your sin is put out of sight to God. Meaning God's looking and he can't see it because he's the one that puts it out of sight. The reason why you don't have joy is because it's still within your sight. This is not some cheap gospel. This is the blood of Christ. It has been accounted for. See, I think we're so, we, we haven't, I don't, I don't know, we're still learning to value the blood. We think, no, nah, it's too good. Listen, I don't want to get to the end and go, Lord, I exalted my sin over your atonement. That's not humility. Exalting my sin over the atoning blood of Christ is not humility. That's pride. If my sin and brokenness and failure is larger than the atonement, than the blood, then what I'm saying is I know that my weakness and my failure is stronger than God's love. And that's a dangerous place to be. Especially when it's wrapped with an air of wisdom and an air of false humility and an air of spirituality because you can wrap that thinking in an air of, of a false spirituality and yet the fruit of that is joylessness, lifelessness, wandering from God, 
This is not part of my message, but I want you to go look at this. In Luke 15, this hit me this week, and I've just been so excited about it. Maybe it should have been part of my message. But all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus, and the Bible says that the Pharisees began to grumble and complain, saying, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. And the Bible says this. It says, then Jesus told them, the Pharisees, these parables, this parable, and he gives Three parables, and if you guys know the chapter, it's an awesome chapter. The first parable is this guy who has a bunch of sheep, and he loses one, and he goes and he finds the lost sheep. He searches for it, and he finds it. You know what the Bible says? He puts it on his shoulders, and he comes home what? Can you picture the guy rejoicing? Now, again, remember the context of the parable. Guys are grumpy and angry that Jesus is with people that he shouldn't be with. And then he begins to tell a parable about a man rejoicing. <laughs> Second parable, woman loses one of her 10 coins, finds her coin, and she doesn't throw a party by herself. Now she goes and knocks on her neighbors. Her neighbor's just making dinner, and crazy lady neighbor comes, banging on the door, freaking out, like these people up here. She's like, ah, I found it, I found it. What did you find? I found my lost coin. Come and celebrate me. This is what the Bible says. This is the parable. Come and rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. And the people are like, I didn't know it was lost. It doesn't matter. You should be happy for me, with me. <laughs> Come on. What's he, he, again, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to grumpy people who have forgotten how to rejoice. Who've forgotten how to love. Who've forgotten the value of human life. And then he goes on and he tells the famous awesome parable and the, and the younger brother comes home and he's been wasting all his dad's stuff and he comes home and, the, and then what happens? There's a party. The climax of the story surrounds dancing and music. And the older brother is coming back. Now this is amazing to me. This is his dad's house and he's coming back to his dad's house and he hears the sound of music and dancing, and instead of going, wow, my dad's throwing a party, I can't wait to go in, he gets suspicious. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is there singing and dancing in my dad's house? He's been faithfully serving his father all these years, he's never disobeyed a command, yet he didn't know how to rejoice in his father's house. He was in the house, but he just wasn't home. I think a lot of us are that way, myself included. For years of my Christian life, I've been in the house, but not home. I'm, I'm speaking, I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking as one whom the Father is actively learning, and I'm learning how to rejoice in his house, truly from my heart. And we've got to take this joy thing to another level. Like, like dancing in here is like level one ankle deep joy. I'm serious. Spiritual joy, it does express and manifest in a worship service. It does. It's, it's right and good to respond to God with singing and dancing. It's biblical. Sometimes if, if just to have authenticity and integrity, sometimes you should just do it, even by yourself in your room. Just dance before the Lord. Start there. Just sing and dance before him. Make a joyful noise. By yourself, no music even. Just make a noise. It's awesome. You'd be amazed at the Spirit of God following you by yourself in your room, just dancing, singing, just. 
don't just do it in here. For those of you dancing up here and here, don't just do it in here. Do it in your home too, by yourself, in your car, shouting. If you see me driving sometimes, I'm just shouting. Ah. (laughs) Love rejoices in the truth. Did you know that? So when you know your heart's in love, you hear truth and you just start getting happy. One of the ways you know your love is growing cold is you hear truth and you're like, I know. Love rejoices in the truth. Love gets happy when it hears truth. (laughs) You were made for joy. And I believe, church, where we're going, joy is not some some sidebar issue. It's not a side issue. We need the joy of the Lord to endure to the end until he comes. You, You need to learn how to drink of the cup of this covenant and to to really, truly, biblically understand what it means to be intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. Because the intoxication of the Holy Spirit through the blood of God, what it does is 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 it first and foremost, it like, there's a cleansing of sin that allows you to move and operate and not be so moved by people all the time, not be so concerned about the fear of man and well, what he said and what he shit, what she said and, and what this denomination is doing and how they're worshiping and how they're not doing and what they didn't say to me. And, and the, the, the wine of the covenant, it like, it takes your eyes off, off of all of it and it allows you to see God and his glory and his majesty and his smile in his dominion, in his rulership, in his lordship, and he's seated on a throne, and he's, he who sits in the heaven laughs, and the nations are raging, and he's laughing because he's seated on a throne. That's what the blood of the covenant does, is it first and foremost is like a balm for your anxious soul, and it just allows you to see an atmosphere in a realm that is not this one. And then in that place, you can begin to get happy, you can begin to get dance, but there's other realms of joy. Like, like you know someone's gonna betray you, and you get down on your knees and you begin to wash their feet. Do you think Jesus, when he washed Judas' feet in John chapter 13, do you think he was stoically, robotically, just, well, I'm gonna wash his feet because that's what my father would want me to do? Jesus, that's... That's undignified. We, we, see, we apply undignified than this with that. And, and there's some of that. But some of you, you already, that, you've already breached that realm. You've already can dance before God. Praise God. So that's not, your dignity's gone there. But you know what's undignified is to get down on your knees, take off your robe, and wash your betrayer's feet. That's undignified. You know what's undignified is when your spouse or someone or a close friend really, really hurts you and yet you respond in patience and in kindness. You have to be intoxicated with the blood of God to do that. You don't do that on your own strength. You don't do that because you're hyper spiritual. You do it because you've been drinking a substance that makes you act a little different. There's a couple of other verses I want you to read. I want to build your faith that God wants to produce joy. Uh, Psalm 36, 8. They feast. They feast. This is why I don't trust people who aren't hungry. (laughs) 
They feast on the abundance of your house. And God gives them drink from the river of his delights. The picture here, again, so poetic and beautiful, yet a reality in the heart of God, is there is a river flowing out of God's heart of delights. And we are all thirsty to drink from that river. <laughs> Proverbs fifteen fifteen. all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful, the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. The cheerful of heart. Now, I want to remind you that the cheerful of heart can still feast in the presence of enemies. You can be happy before you're free. Look at Paul in prison. He wasn't free, but he was happy. He loved God. And his, and his joy was so full that at midnight, he's just, oh, he's just loving on God. Oscar wasn't there playing on the keys. Ava wasn't there singing for him. He was all by himself in a quiet prison and his heart was exploding with love. And the joy inside of him produced freedom around him. And this is a picture of, I believe, where God wants to take the church because Right now, we've lost our witness to the world. Do you know why I believe we've lost our witness primarily to the world? Is we've tried to tell them about a bread and a wine that we haven't been eating or drinking. And so we're emaciated, we're lacking joy, we're lacking strength, we're lacking dominion, we're lacking freedom, we're lacking a, a sense of, 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 of divine, partakers of divine nature. And so, they're looking at us and they're listening to us and they're like, but you look miserable. But you look exhausted. But you look so tired. Why would I, why would I, why would I buy what you're selling when you don't carry the thing that you're saying it was gonna provide? And I'm not, I'm not that's, a, that's a blanket statement, I understand. But one of the greatest things we can do to reclaim an authentic witness to the world is we can get intoxicated by the Spirit of God. We can get nourished by the bread of God. We can get glad in His presence. We can get happy. A happy Christian is a holy Christian. I'm serious. If you're holy and you're not happy, I question your holiness. A happy Christian is a holy Christian. A happy Christian is a good husband, is a good wife, is an amazing employee, is an amazing boss. If you don't have joy and love in your heart, I'm telling you, you're gonna show up. That's gonna show up in your marriage, in your, in your family, in your workplace, and they're gonna see it. But what would happen if we learned in the presence of our enemies to drink the wine of God, to eat from his table, and to be nourished and to be glad and to be strong. There was one of these old saints. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. God wants you alive. He wants you alive in him. 
He wants, you, he wants people to look at you and go, wow, there is a life. There's famine in the world. The, the, the politics are being shaken. But, man, there is a brilliance upon your countenance that I can't deny. Why are you so unshaken? Well, there's a table. All right, I want you to put this, speaking of tables, <laughs> will you put the table up there? Um, the reality is, If we cannot name our enemies, many of us, we have enemies, but we can't name them. We can't, we can't describe them. We can't really define them. And I believe that our enemies, because we don't know how to fight, they're causing us to lose heart. Now, ultimately, we know that Satan is the enemy of our souls. We know that sin, it wages war against us yet we have the gospel. And so I'm, I'm wanting to speak to us in the midst, this, this Psalm 23, five, it speaks, it speaks of a victory in the presence of enemies. And this is where most of us are at this morning, that you're aware, you're aware of enemies and you're aware, hopefully, Lord willing, you're gonna become aware of the condition of your heart. And if you look at this far left column, you're gonna see symptoms symptoms that you're beginning to lose heart. And this is a big deal because Jesus didn't come and die on a cross and, 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 and come alive on the third day so that we could lose heart. He wants your heart fully alive. Now, if you look at this left column, numb, self-centered and judgmental, anxious and fearful, depressed and hopeless. I want you, listen, when you go to the mechanic, you want the mechanic to tell you exactly what's wrong with your car, do you not? All right, when you come to church, you want the Spirit of God to shine a spotlight into your heart. Hopefully you came and you said, Holy Spirit, I want you to shine a spotlight into my heart. I don't wanna come to church and, and dance around and yet my heart never got examined by God. So I want you to raise your hand loud and proud if you've recognized symptoms of being numb. This is confession. So you confess this, you're like, yep, I've, I, there's been numbness. Self-centered and judgmental. I'm just gonna keep my hand up, by the way. I like to be real before the Lord. Anxious and fearful. Depressed. Hopeless. Now these are symptoms, if, you, if you're experiencing these things, it's really painful, is it not? And what's most painful is that I would be willing to bet that 90% of you feel like you're having that symptom because you're not doing something or you're doing something wrong. Come on, raise your hand if that's true. That the reason you are experiencing that column is probably your fault. That's a simple way of saying it. If you read your Bible more, if you're more spiritual, if you're more anointed, whatever the case may be. And I want to just stop you in your tracks and to tell you that's a dead end road. That, that thinking will never produce life. The only reason these symptoms are here primarily is that you have, you have not been properly equipped to eat at the Lord's table. Now, now a symptom isn't the root cause of the problem. A symptom, if you go to the doctor and like, hey, I have a runny nose, they're like, oh, you may have a virus. And the, and the cause of the runny nose or the cause of the symptoms, there's something at the root. And so the second column you see is what 
I, I just put unseen enemies, and we know the enemies at work, we know this, but I wanna highlight, I'm gonna give us five verses, I'm gonna highlight the root, I believe, of a lot of the symptoms of losing heart. Are you guys ready? Are you guys with me? Is it okay that we get this practical? All right, look at Deuteronomy 4.9. If you have your Bible, go there. You can find it. I believe in you. Just go to Genesis and then keep going right. That works for every book of the Bible. It just takes a little longer for some. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. Pay attention to your soul. Pay attention to your heart diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So for the new covenant, what that means is one of the primary woes of the church today, and this is gonna sound like an overstatement, is that we've forgotten what we've seen. You, you, we have forgotten the cross the blood, the resurrection. I don't say that you, you don't know it, but you've forgotten it, meaning, oh, I know there's water here, but to forget it is to never drink it. Wow. Forgetfulness, and I don't just mean you, you lose track of it intellectually, I mean you forget to engage with it. You forget to connect your heart with it. The meal that saved you is the meal that sustains you. Remember that. Someone sent me this cool quote this week from Charles Spurgeon. It says, the most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. Think about that. The most important daily habit is not drink your fiber, working out, it's to remind yourself of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon said that. To remind yourself. What do you mean remind yourself? You need to be reminded of the purpose of the blood and of the body. Why do you need to be reminded? Because we forget. And, and actually, Second Peter says that if you forget that you were cleansed from your sins, the Bible says you're so nearsighted that you're blind. When you forget the purpose of the cup, it, the Bible says you get so nearsighted that you're blind. That's number one on that table is forgetfulness. When you forget the gospel, your heart begins to get numb. The next one is sin, Romans 6.10, for the wages of sin is death. Now, I wanna, I wanna present sin to you in this way because sometimes we're in the church and we're like, yeah, but all my sins have been forgiven. But you know that you're continuing in sin when your heart becomes self-centered and judgmental. So sin is at work in the believer 
when all you can see is you. And this is the source of, I would say, possibly all of the tension in every relationship that you've ever had. <laughs> yeah. When you really think about it, the tension is resulting in the fact that you have become the biggest person in your world. When you yourself are bigger than everyone that you're around, you're gonna be very touchy. And everything's gonna bother you. And you're gonna be very judgmental. And I can't think of anything better describing of death here on this earth than just being obsessed with yourself. That's death. Just obsessed with yourself. Where are you at? Where are you at with God? Where are you at with others? Where are they at? And let them. That's death. You were not made to live with that much hyper-awareness of yourself. This is what happened with the fall of man. Adam and Eve ate of the tree, their eyes opened, and for the first time ever, they saw themselves, they saw their nakedness, and ever since then, mankind has been obsessed with ourselves. They, are, they became obsessed that moment. What did they start doing? They made themselves fig leaves. Everything man did from that moment was a result of them seeing themselves. The fig leaves, the hiding, the wandering, the sin, the, the removing themselves from the presence of God. You guys okay? James 2.10, I want you guys to see these enemies because these enemies are all around the table, forgetfulness and sin and guilt. They're all just standing at the table and if our attention remains on the enemies, your soul, this is why you raised your hand that my soul is this way. But what did God promise? He promised joy. He promised rejoicing. He promised gladness. He promised strength. He promised righteousness. He promised peace. He promised overcoming. And so we wanna get from here to there. And so we need to know that these things are gonna be around us. You're gonna be tempted to forget. This is a guarantee, I promise you, 95% of you will forget this sermon. But here's what you won't forget is this. I don't care that you remember the sermon, I want you to remember this. This is what Peter said, he goes, man, it's no trouble for me to remind you of these things. He goes, God made it clear to me that I'm gonna put off my body. He goes, but I'm gonna keep telling you the same things over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know why? So that when I leave, you can recall them. Why would that be important? Because there's nothing else that matters. There's nothing else. I could give you another solution, but it would be wrong. So forgetfulness produces numbness. A sin consciousness produces a self-centered, judgmental heart. And a guilty conscience. Look at this, James 2.10. For whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. A heart that remains guilty before the Lord is gonna be an anxious heart and a fearful heart. When you're anxious and you're fearful, it's because you actually think you're gonna be punished by God. This is 1 John. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know why? Because fear has to do with punishment. So you're anxious because you're afraid of punishment. This was the, this was the younger brother in the parable in Luke 15, he came home and he punished himself before the father could punish him. He said, dad, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I'm just gonna be a servant. That's punishment. 
He punished himself. How many of us do that? We punish ourselves relationally because we don't wanna be punished by the people that we love. And so we just put ourselves in time out. And we do it with God all the time. I've done it with God so much of my life. I'm gonna put myself in time out. I'm gonna make myself pay so that I can prove I'm really sorry. In the meanwhile, God says, bring the robe, bring the sandals, bring the ring, kill the fattened calf. Instead of that, I'd rather have a party. I sometimes like to think about that, old, that, that younger son when he's home and, and he's wearing the robe. Give me this, give me that robe, Mike. Can I have that robe, please? <laughs> this is unbelievable. Look at this thing. Can you imagine the younger son coming home and he's filthy, he's nasty, and he says, quick, bring the best robe. You gotta think about this. I, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable in this jacket, but it's starting to feel nicer and nicer as I wear it. I'm like, wait a minute, this kinda looks good. I look good in fur. But, but I, want you to, I want you to get into this man, this, this young man's skin, because we've all been there. We've all been the older brother. We've all been the younger brother to an extent. He, I want you to picture him at a party that his dad threw for him at the height of exposing, like, this is the guy that wasted everything, that told dad, I wish you were as good as dead. He squandered everything in reckless living. Do you think the younger brother just immediately started in and he's dancing around? Like, no, I think he's like, he's like, what? You're doing this for me? Like everyone's like, yeah, you're home. We've been praying for you, come on, yeah. And he's like, wait, what? And he's not, the, the younger son's not just jumping right into the party. It's, he's gotta warm up to the fact that he's actually loved. His stony, hard heart had to melt before the love and the extravagance of his father. He didn't understand. Now listen, the father didn't just go get the younger brother, he also went out and got the big brother. He didn't just leave him outside and go, oh, he'll come. The father left the party and went out to the son in the house. And I feel the father this morning, he's, he wants to meet you wherever you're at and he wants to put a robe on you that may make you feel a little uncomfortable. Because if you show up to church wearing this or you show up anywhere wearing this, do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm ready to party. That's what you're saying. You're like, that dude must be the life of the party. If you rock up into a coffee shop wearing this, you're like, that guy is ready to go down. Like, he's ready. He's ready for a good time. Like, you're saying a lot before you say anything wearing this. How much more? See, you guys are now laughing, right? Do you know why? Because I'm showing you, ooh. I'm showing you visually. You're, you're seeing with the eyes of your eyes. But if you saw the eyes of your heart, I'm wearing a robe of righteousness this morning that is 10X this suave, 10X. My robe of righteousness, it comes down a little bit more, it's that long and it's nice and it's colorful and it's loud and it's bright and I look good in it. It's tailored, makes me look good like those shirts that make you look good even though you're not fully fit. That's what my robe of righteousness does and that's what robe you've been given through this meal. But, but you don't get comfortable wearing it if you're so occupied with the presence of your enemies. 
If you're so concerned about everything that's happening around you, you fail to come to this table and drink of this cup. If you keep looking, and I'll just give you these scriptures because I want to get to the cup. Oscar, if you could come help me. Um, Genesis 3.8, they, they hid themselves from the presence of God. And then Hebrews 10.1.4 speaks of the law, and it says this. You can put Hebrews 10 up there real quick. I just want you guys to reference these because we're going to talk about the bread next week. We're going to talk about God's desire to heal, talk about oneness together. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they have not ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, watch this, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices of the Old Testament, there is a reminder of sins every year. So what's so different about the Lord's cup and the Old Testament blood, the Old Testament blood of bulls and goats reminded them of their sin, yet this blood reminds us of our righteousness. So I want you to grab your cup. I'm gonna, we're gonna fly through this because you guys know a lot of this, but hey, open the bread first. I did this last night. If you open the cup first, it's really hard to open the bread. You can write these scriptures down or you can just take notes, but 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this. It says the cup of blessing, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? So this cup has a number of names biblically. Number one, it's a cup of blessing. Think about that. It's a cup filled with blessing. What are the blessings of this cup? I'm gonna read a few of them. Hebrews 12, 24 says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the cup of blessing is also a cup that speaks. Can you imagine showing up at a table, someone poured you a glass of wine, and they ran into the kitchen to get something, and you hear a voice coming out of the cup saying, I love you. <laughs> I forgive you. I've removed your sins as far as the east from the west. What did you say? <laughs> your lawless deeds I remember no more. What did you say? I don't remember them. What? I love you. Yeah, but Abel's crying out for just, I love you. My word's better. The blood speaks. I love this about the blood. You know why? Because I forget all the time. And when I come to the table, I hear a voice coming out of the blood saying, I love you. I forgive you, it's not my voice, it's his voice, it's his love, speaking from his heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth, this is the heart of God. It's the cup of remembrance, Psalm 32, it's the cup of forgiveness. If you're in this place this morning and you need to know that you're forgiven, this is the cup of forgiveness. If you've been stuck in sin, self-conscious, sin-conscious, 
All you need is the forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus. Please stop striving for salvation. Please stop working for love. Please don't wait another day or week to go by for your father to bestow his affection and his love upon you. Don't wait to be glad until you get your ducks in a row. You won't ever get your ducks in a row. You need the wine of his spirit. You're forgiven this morning. I need you to, if, if that's you, you can look at me, I'll look at you. I wanna tell you by the authority of the blood of Jesus, he forgives you. If you need forgiveness, if you've been stuck in sin, I want you to hear a voice of a father saying to you, you're forgiven because of this blood. I speak to you, you're forgiven. He forgives you, he forgives you. It is his delight to show you mercy this morning. If you've been judgmental, if you've been just so obsessed with yourself, that's sin. And he forgives you. He delights to show you mercy. It says in Ephesians 2.14 that you who are once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He doesn't just remind you and speak to you. He doesn't just forgive you, but he brings you close to himself. Some of you this morning, you came and you still feel far from God. But this cup is the cup of nearness. When you really know that you're near, you're not for sale for anything. When you know that you're near to God, you've completely arrived. Someone will say, I have this opportunity for you, and it doesn't matter. It's not gonna move me because I've found my nearness to God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the living God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, I can draw near to my Father. This is the cup of nearness. Yeah, but I don't feel near. Yeah, but you are. It's the cup of a clean conscience, and it's the cup of confidence. So I'm gonna give you a minute, and I want you to just we're gonna close with this, with the bread and the, and the cup. But a lot's been said and I wanna give you just a few minutes here as we close to examine your heart in the presence of God. If you know that you've begun to lose heart, I want you to begin to just confess to him where your heart's at, at his table, with this bread and with this wine and with this oil. Just confess to him. And if you feel so inclined, which I'd highly encourage you to, maybe confess to a neighbor, to your spouse, to a friend, and just say, man, this is where my heart has been at. Come and father us, Lord, tonight. Come and father us. our hearts to you.
we don't want to be numb. We don't want our hearts to be numb. Come on, don't let my voice do it. Just from your own voice. Your own voice to God. This time is for you. judgmental I want to be fearful or hopeless I want my heart to be fully alive in you I bring you my heart Lord the best that I know how I, I lift it up to you I lift my soul to you I'm so hungry for your bread Lord I'm so thirsty for the cup. If you know the Lord's highlighting something to you just to bring into the light, I want to encourage you just before we take the bread to just confess it. Just grab someone and confess it. There's such power in bringing it into the light. table in the presence of all of our enemies and I thank you for this bread your body broken your body that was pierced that was wounded you were divided so that we could be made one in you many are one body because of this one bread. So Father, we take your broken body with thankful hearts, Lord, that we're not alone. We're not alone. We receive your wholeness. Take the body. come to your cup, this cup of remembrance, this cup of nearness, this cup of a clean conscience, this cup of forgiveness, this cup of confidence. And I ask right now, Lord, as we hold your cup, that your voice would speak through your blood to our hearts what we need to hear. I have such faith that this voice of the blood is going to speak straight to your heart what you need to hear this morning.
thank you, Jesus. We just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Receive the blood of Jesus. Father, I ask that you would help us as we leave this place this morning. You would help us come to your table to drink from your cup, to partake of you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.